0: Today's reading is 1 John 1, 5 to 2, 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we, talk, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God, you may be seated. Thank you, Kevin. What we are doing in the last few weeks together is taking the scenic route through uh, a list that Paul gives us in Galatians chapter five. The list is made up of outcomes that happen when we surrender our lives to Jesus, And the Holy Spirit begins to direct our path. And what happens when he directs the path is that we are led into all kinds of things that make life wonderful, more love, more joy, more peace, more patience. Paul calls these outcomes the fruit of the Spirit. He lists nine of them. And God wants you to have more of all of these qualities in your life. And the thing is, it's what really we're after anyway, most of us in what we do in our lives, we're after more love, we're, we're after more joy. And here's God saying, I want to give more of these things to you and I want you to let the Holy Spirit lead you to them. So each week we've been taking one of these aspects and we've been running it through a list of four questions. What is the fruit that we're supposed to cultivate? What is the weed that we need to get rid of so that the, the fruit has the best chance to grow? Is there a counterfeit or an imitation of the fruit that we can look out for. And then how do how do we get more of this in our life? If God is the ideal of all of these, if God is love, if God is peace, if he is patience, then what aspect of his nature do I need to grab onto so that I can get more of that aspect in my life? Well, we've also committed to Uh, memorizing this list that Paul gives us in Galatians chapter five. And so uh, each week we've been taking away more and more blanks. And this week I'm going to give you a really easy time right at the beginning and then... It's going to get hard, okay? So we've been at this for a few weeks. You guys have been doing pretty well. Uh, Let's throw all of the words up there without any blanks, and this will be easy. You can just read with me with the intent of memorizing. Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. And we're going to add to that Galatians five, twenty-two and 23. Very good. You're good readers. Now the test. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Do you remember? But the... Love... Goodness... Self-control against no law, and we we'll are add to that Galatians. Give yourselves a hand. You did a pretty good job. Well done. Nice job. So today we come to goodness. What is goodness? It's a word that is used over 600 times in Scripture. It's used all over the place. We start the Scriptures with us. God creates things, and he says, and it was? Good, yeah. Uh, the psalmist says, "I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living." Uh, Jesus Himself, somebody came to Him and said, "Good teacher," He says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Why are you calling me good? There's only one who is good." Jesus used a parable, and He concluded the parable, "Well done, good and faithful servant." Paul, right after the scripture that you just memorized, writes this: "Let us do good." to everyone, especially those to who belong to the household of faith. Moses, in the Old Testament, asks God to show him his glory. And here's what God says. Yes, I will let you see my goodness. Not glory, goodness. And his goodness consisted of mercy and grace and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and forgiving iniquity and judgment. All of that's wrapped up in... God's goodness. God goodness has to do with sincerity and integrity and honesty. Sincerity is to be the same always. A sincere person is like a clear lake where you can see all the way down to the bottom. That's what it means to be sincere and that's part of goodness. Part of goodness is integrity. It's a word that we get our English word integer from, so it means whole. It's like a whole number is an integer. And integrity means wholeness, and that's part of goodness. Honesty is a part of goodness, and honesty means that I am absolutely consistent with the reality around me. and So goodness is all of those rolled up together. Uh, The word is agathos, and we're going to define it this way today. Moral uprightness that is concerned with measuring up to the standards of right and wrong. Last week, we looked at kindness. And the difference between kindness and goodness can be seen in two events in the life of Jesus. Kindness is Jesus reaching out to a woman at the well who has come there in the middle of the day because none of her friends will really talk to her, and Jesus is kind. Goodness, on the other hand, is Jesus rolling into the temple, turning tables over, and saying, Get out of my house. (laughs) You've made it a den of thieves, right? And robbers. Goodness and kindness go together That's goodness that Jesus, uh, when he cleansed the temple, it's a moral uprightness that's concerned with measuring up to the standards of right and wrong. And what we need to see right off the bat is that kindness and goodness go together. They don't often get put together. Some of us are all about goodness. We're about getting truth and uh, getting that right and getting our doctrine all squared away. And the danger is that if we are just that, we will come across to other people as harsh and cold. On the other hand, some of us are really kind. We are gentle and mild and pleasant. We're full of understanding as we deal with others, but we're so much that way that the danger is that we will easily dismiss any wrongdoing that happens. It's never really serious enough to be condemned or confronted. And so do you see how kindness and goodness go together? In Jesus, we see the perfect blend. He was the perfect blend of both good and kind. He condemned sin with righteous indignation, but he covered the sinner with understanding and love and kindness. And as we talk today, remember that love and kindness, uh, goodness and kindness go together. And Jesus was the perfect blend of those. John writes, he was full of grace and truth, kindness, and goodness. You have to have more of both together. And so, so you can remember uh, what goodness is, uh, we're going to do a little rhyme today. Goodness is when we choose God's way, no matter the day. Like it? Okay. If you don't like that, how about this? When we choose God's face, no matter the place. Like it? No, you don't. Okay, how about this? When we choose God's call instead of the wall, no matter the wall. When we choose God's side, no matter the ride, or my personal favorite, when we choose God's path, no matter the math. Jeff, I think you'll like that one, okay? Write that one down. Here's what we, you can fill your blanks in with whatever you want there, but here's what we need to hang our hat on today is that goodness springs from a truth centered life. And that's the reason for the text in 1 John, even though it doesn't even mention this word goodness. In verse five, we read that God is light. Goodness comes from God. This moral uprightness has no other source but God himself, God alone is good. That's what Jesus said. In verse five, also we read that in him is no darkness. He is consistently light, invariably upright. He is always good. We could say it this way that God is always the same. He has no hidden parts. God is the same all the way to the bottom. We can see clearly who God is. Verse six says, if we say we have fellowship with God, but do not practice the truth, then we lie. And God's goodness is founded in his truth. His truth is always the same. It's consistent. His truth is truth all the way to the bottom. And that's why God can't lie. God can't lie because to do so would contradict who he is and he cannot deny himself. His goodness is to be perfectly consistent with himself. And it's also not only why he can't lie, but it's also why we can trust God and really God alone. Because... There are other people in our lives that we would call good, right? We would look around and we'd say, oh, that's a good person. But eventually, given enough time, given the right circumstances, they won't be really, truly consistent and the same all the way through. Why? Why won't they be? Because I'm, I can't be and you can't be. No one can be except God, but God is the ultimate goodness. He's always morally upright, always the same all the way through, and that's why we can trust him. Goodness is about trust, and it's about truth. It's about trusting that God is telling the truth to us and then living from that truth. It's choosing God's way no matter the day. Or God's path, no matter the math. I like that one too. Okay. Uh, What is the opposite of the fruit? What is the opposite of the fruit? If goodness is tied to moral uprightness that comes from a belief that God is telling us the truth about how do we live, then the weed we need to pull is about the lies that we choose to believe. And so the weed we need to get rid of is false beliefs, behaviors. In your life, in my life, they always stem from underlying core beliefs and the weed that will stunt the growth of goodness in our life is when we choose a lie to explain why. And I promise that's the last rhyme today, okay? When we choose a lie to explain why. John writes it three times. Anytime that that a writer writes three times, it's because he doesn't think we'll get it. So get this, verse six. If we say we have fellowship and walk in darkness, we lie. Verse 8, if we say we have sin, we deceive ourselves, which means we lie to ourselves. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make God into a liar. Goodness, moral uprightness escapes us when we are not honest with our reality. And the reality is that every one of us believes tons and tons of lies Um, More on that in a minute, but probably the big lie we tell ourselves is that something else besides God will satisfy us. That was the very first temptation. You read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and Satan comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, and he attacks. His first move is to plant doubt about God's truthfulness, of his honesty, integrity, in Adam and Eve's minds, he attacks God's goodness. He comes to Eve and he says, what did God say about the trees? Did he really say you can't eat from any of the trees? That, that was a lie, right? Eve said, no, no, we can. Uh, it's just not that one. She points to the one in the middle. We, we can eat all the trees, but we can't eat from that one because if we eat from that one, then we will die. Oh, die, You won't die? Are you kidding me? In fact, you'll not only not die, you'll become like God himself. You'll know more than you've ever known. And what God is really doing here is he's holding you back because he knows if you eat that tree, then you'll have what he has. And he doesn't want you to have all that you should have. It's a lie, right? And do you see the first temptation questions God's truthfulness, his integrity, his sincerity. He makes Adam and Eve doubt God's goodness. And from that moment on, every sin on the planet has taken the same form. Every sin in your life has roots in this idea that God's worth, God's word, the truth, which by the way are the same thing, isn't what God said it was. Every sin comes from believing lies about God instead of the truth about God. So the question is, we have to ask, what lies are you believing? What lies am I believing? That's the weed to clear for more goodness to grow in your life. And if it's about clearing the lies, then I want you to think through this. If it's about lies and what we believe, then a morally upright life cannot be about trying harder. It cannot be about gritting our teeth and just doing it, right? The problem is what you believe. The actions are just the symptoms. Getting rid of sin and bringing more goodness into your life won't come by trying harder. It comes by believing better. What's the fake to watch out for? There's a counterfeit of the fruit, something that looks like the fruit but isn't, and it's this, doing right in the wrong way. That's the counterfeit of goodness. We choose morally right things to do, but we go about them in the wrong way. We give, but we give reluctantly. We confess, but we confess with sarcasm. We apologize, but we apologize in defiance. We're all about the truth, but we exclude love. And as we discussed earlier, the antidote to this, is walking the line of the gospel, fully knowing that grace and truth have to grow together at the same time. Jesus was the only one who will ever do it correctly all of the time, but just knowing what the goal is to be always kind and always good at the same time. That will help us. And all of these, the fruit is symmetrical. That's what we learned in weeks past. It has to grow together. And so with our goodness, we have to put love and we have to put kindness and we have to put self-control. So how do we get more goodness? Uh, The simple answer is by believing better. And I wanna show you how to do that. David the psalmist writes this, "'O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? "'Who shall dwell on your holy hill?' He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his, what's the word? Heart, speaks truth in his heart. The key to goodness is to get to the inward parts of us because the outward parts, our actions, will always match what's inside of us. Jesus says the same thing in Mark chapter seven. He says this, that there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Then he says this, for from within, from out of the heart, some of you are with me, from out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, all the other things that he says. From within, all those evil things come from your heart and that's what defiles a person. And so the first step to getting more goodness in our life is to root out what we really believe. Root out what you really believe. Argue the truth to your core. John says, if you say you have no sin, that probably comes from a core belief that God is not good. If you confess your sin, that also comes from a core belief that God is good and he wants your best and he, he, you know you can be honest with him because you believe he's a good God. In every action, we have to root out what we really believe. In your bulletin, I have put uh, an extra insert in there. It's called, it's an illustration. It's a tool that you can use to get to the root of what you really believe. It's called the iceberg. The iceberg is not original with me. It's, it wasn't original with the guy that shared it with me. I don't know where it came from, but it's a great illustration. And what we're going to do, uh, I'm going to leave the picture up here, and you guys can just fill in your blanks while I talk about it. But the, the gist of it is that you are an iceberg. How many of you know that the, what you see above the surface of an iceberg is only about 10% of the iceberg. You've heard that before, some of you? Yes. 90% of anything, anytime you see an iceberg, 90% of it lives underneath the surface. And that's you and that's me. We, uh, only a small part of us can be seen. At the very top, we have behaviors. And that's what sticks up above Water. When we're living our life, it's uh, it's visible. It's what defines us to other people. What we do. Okay, that's why we ask people when we meet them. Hi, what do you do? Oh, I do I do this. I do math. I do you know I do the path. Okay, all right. So our behaviors draw our focus to other people. They look huge to us and to everyone else because that's all people can see. But ninety percent of us is underneath the surface, and we have to get down to that. We focus so much on our behaviors when we want to change. And the point is, there's so much more work to be done. If we only deal with behaviors, it's kind of like mowing dandelions. You know about that. You mow the lawn, and you get rid of the dandelions, and it looks great for about two hours, And then those dandelions pop back up. That's what we're doing when we are only dealing with our behaviors. I wanna get in shape. And so the solution that I immediately go to is what can I do to get in shape? And so I think I need to go to the gym. I need to start dieting. I need to get a standing desk so I can stand at my desk and read. Our resolve almost always fails when we do that. Why? Because all we're doing is mowing dandelions. The lawn looks great for two days, but nothing has changed because we haven't gotten below the surface. We haven't gotten the root and behaviors at the top are only a small part of you. There's way more beneath the water that we need to explore. So let's get out the scuba gear and go uh, under the water. The next what we come to under the surface is emotions, emotions. They're just below the surface, somewhat hidden, depending on our personalities. Uh, Some of you wear your emotions on your sleeve, so it's really not hard to tell when you're mad or upset or happy or whatever. Others of us are more reserved, and so we, we kind of hide our emotions a little better. Emotions are also very mixed. We can have a lot of emotions at the very same time. We can feel angry, we can feel guilty, we can feel anxious, and we can feel all of those at the very same time. The other thing our emotions can do is change very rapidly. Uh, we might be very happy in the morning and then super sad in the afternoon. They're pretty unpredictable. Probably the most important thing to know about emotions are they are unstoppable. They will come out it's just a matter of when they will come out. And your personality plays a role here. Uh, maybe you're a porcupine and you're always pricking people. You know, it's always coming out. Or maybe you're a skunk and you're just waiting to explode. Like one day you will, okay? That, those are our emotions. Let's go one step deeper. Our thoughts, our thoughts. They are always the stimulus behind our emotions. I think... Um, that somebody's really awesome because they gave me a gift. And so I have some emotions towards that person. But then I realized that the gift they gave me was really re-gifted. Now I have different thoughts about them and different emotions, right? That's how that works. Thoughts are generally more hidden than emotion. And our thoughts are the cause of most of our feelings. I'm anxious. Why? Because I think that the stock market might tank. I'm jealous. Why? Because I think that somebody else is getting more attention than me. I'm sad. Why? Because I think that somebody that I'm close to is really disappointed in me. And most psychology deals with thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. It's this level and above. It's your mother made you stand in the corner. What do you think about that? How does that make you feel? And in an attempt to change behaviors, we think about our emotions and how we feel and and our thoughts. But I want you to see that Jesus isn't stopping there. Jesus goes deeper. Underneath, he says, all of this lay our beliefs Our beliefs, and our beliefs can be divided into two categories. Number one, what I say I believe, and then number two, what I really believe. What I say I believe are the things that I'm supposed to say. Those are the acceptable things to say, the don't rock the boat kind of statements. And so we're church people and we're in church today, so let's just throw out some church doctrines that we might uh, say that we believe. It's what we're supposed to say, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone should always go to church. Absolutely. Every Sunday. Yeah. I believe in the power of prayer. Yeah, sure. No problem. Tithing is absolutely an important part of maturity. Yeah, yeah. Christians should be the most loving people on the planet. Oh, yeah, I believe that. Forgiveness is always the right action to take. That's what I say I believe. But the problem is, often... Those are just statements that are facades. We really don't believe them. Why can I say that? Because our behaviors don't match what we say we believe. There's the red flag. And so now we have to get down to another level. We have to go to what I really believe. That's the subconscious level most times, and it takes great effort to get there. It's not easy to uncover what I really believe. We'll spend a lifetime figuring this out. But when it is uncovered, it's, un- it's-, it's clear that this deepest level is really what controls me, incorporated. It's why I have the behaviors all the way up the top, it's based on what I believe. Church attendance. What I say I believe is everyone should always go to church. What I really believe is that me being in a chair on Sunday doesn't really make a lot of difference. What I say I believe about prayer is that it's great and that there's a power in it, but my real belief is that I doubt whether God really listens. I doubt whether God cares. If he does listen and he does care, I'm not sure that he's going to act what I say I believe is tithing is important, but my real belief is that I can do more with me and 100% of my money than God and just 90% of my money. Christians should be the most loving people on the planet. Yeah, that's what I say, but my real belief is that loving those who are easy to love is, is enough love. What I really say about forgiveness is it's the right thing to do, but my real belief is that punishment is what this person needs. What I really believe in biblical terms is what Jesus calls the heart. The heart. I want you to understand what's happening here. Jesus is psychoanalyzing the human condition before psychology is even a discipline. That's what he's doing. The Pharisees were concerned about their outward appearances and they pointed to their behavior. And Jesus says, wait a minute. What matters is not your outward behavior. What matters is what's inside in your heart. Jesus's words in formula is this, that your false beliefs will lead to your inaccurate thoughts that will lead to unhealthy emotions that will lead to destructive behavior. And so if I'm anxious and scared, that people will reject me. Why am I that way? Maybe it's because there's a big lie operating down deep underneath that says, I have to have people love me. I have to have people think I'm terrific and only then will I have a valuable and worthwhile life. Maybe our behavior is a drive for money and success. It's because there's probably a lie way down deep that we're believing that says, unless we make a lot of money, unless we get ahead in our career, then we are nothing. We're not valuable. We're dirt. Maybe our behavior is worry. When you're worried, there's a little voice inside of you that says, if I was in charge of the universe, I would be doing a better job than the one who's in charge of the universe now. If I was in charge this schedule would have worked out this way and that thing wouldn't have happened. And what you're really saying is, Lord, I'm worried that you're not going to get it right. And at the basis of that is a big lie. Some of the lies are so deep seated and we've been used to pl- running plays from them all along that this side of heaven, we're probably not going to root them all out. But to the degree that we can get to these lies that we're living out of, we can become a person who can obey God and live a life of goodness, goodness, morally, upright, concerned about right and wrong and measuring up to that standard. To the, the first step to goodness is to root out what you really believe. And I'd like you to take this tool, the iceberg tool, and I'd like you to run every corner of your heart through it. Wow, that'll take a while. Yes, it will. That's the hard work of Christianity. But it's worth it. Second, repent of the lies. When you uncover what you really believe, it's probably, it might be leading to destructive behavior. There will be some lie that fuel, is fueling that action. And so our second step is to repent of that lie. Uncover it and be honest with yourself. Be honest with God and repent. John writes in this text, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Honesty with ourselves means confession and repentance. And that's not something that we just did once in the past when we came to Jesus. We repented in faith and we were baptized and that's all we have to do as far as repentance, right? No, 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 repentance is every day. Repentance is getting up and every day reshaping, returning your heart towards God. And repentance brings joy. It cleans us out. It gets at the lies that are controlling us when we're honest with God and say, God, I know what I say I believe but I'm afraid what I really believe is this. And I need to be honest with you about that and repent. If we say we haven't sinned, we make God a liar. Not repenting is the same thing as saying we haven't sinned. And God knows it already. He's all-knowing. He's sovereign. God sees you. He knows everything about you. Stuff you don't even know yet because you haven't Taking that corner of your heart through the iceberg tool, right? You couldn't hide from God if you tried. Hebrews says that we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we have to give an account. If we're repenting, then that means that we are hiding in Christ. And if we're hiding in Christ, we have nothing to hide. But if you're hiding in anything else, then you're not hiding in anything at all. God knows everything. And God is good. Good. Stop treating God as the liar and Satan as the truth. Here's number three. Uh, Rest in your advocate. Rest in your advocate. John writes this, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. Is that going to happen? Oh, That's the goal, but is it really going to happen? No. So he writes the next line, but if anyone does sin, yeah, yeah, that's me, John. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for also the sins of the whole world. Goodness is the one fruit of the Spirit on the list that we are the most harsh with ourselves about. None of us looks inward to our heart and says, oh, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm great. We say that of other people. We say, oh, they're good. Because think back, all we see is their behavior. We don't see their thoughts. We don't see their emotions. We don't see what they really believe. We are the only ones that can see all the way to the bottom of our hearts. And we know the thoughts, we know the emotions, we know the beliefs that others can't see. And that's why we're harsh. We say to ourselves, I'm not, I'm so not good. And yet, the truth today is that if you are in Jesus Christ, if you have trusted in his blood, if you have taken his righteousness, For yourself, if by grace you have responded through faith in baptism, then guess what? You have been clothed with Christ. That's what Paul writes in Galatians 3. It means that when God sees you, he doesn't see the stuff that's not good, he sees goodness because he sees Christ. He sees Christ's perfect clothes on you. You are clothed with Christ. He sees somebody that is good. John writes, we have an advocate. Advocate means we have a defense attorney. Jesus has gone before God to argue on our behalf our case for goodness before God. Jesus has offered his good life for ours, and he stood before God, and he said, you know what? Dusty is good because I gave my goodness so that he could be good. So you can't hold that anything against him because when you see him, he is good because of what I have done. And the gavel comes down, and the final judgment is that we are in good standing in front of God because of what Jesus has done. We are good, and that's the truth. But it's also the truth that we're not so good, right? At the same time, oh, there's so much that I need to fix in my heart. And the reality is we're both. And that's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has made me right in God's eyes, even though I'm not. And it's that belief, it's that truth that I'm really good in God's eyes, even though I'm not, that will lead me to more and more goodness. Rest in your advocate. What that means today practically is this. Every time you think of a sin that you're struggling with, I want you to think of your Savior five times more. Think of your Savior 10 times more. Think of what he gave up for you. He traded his goodness so that you could be good. Every time that sin pops up, think of your savior more than the sin. I want to call the band up and our task this week, in order to cultivate goodness, we're throwing out something that we can do every week to cultivate whatever it is we're talking about in our lives. And the thing to cultivate goodness is this. I want you to commit to quit. Um, I read... Uh, a guy named Bob Goff, he has a couple books out. He's a great Christian writer. Uh, if you haven't uh, read any of Bob Goff's books, you, sh- you should probably do that. Start with Love Does, that's a good one. And uh, what he says, he has a habit. Every Thursday, he quits something. <laughs> I don't know, I wanna see that list of like, like, what are you quitting after you know 500 Thursdays? But I thought, that's good for us this week. Let's quit something on Thursday, and here's what we're going to quit. We're going to eliminate the one lie from our life, just one lie. I want you to take some corner of your heart through the iceberg tool, and I want you to isolate the, the lie that you're believing, and I want you to quit it. I want you to eliminate that lie from your life this Thursday and replace it with the truth that should be there. And then let that truth naturally lead you to do one good thing. Jesus told a story about a man who was traveling. He was mugged. He was beaten. He was left for dead in the ditch. He needed help. And a priest came by, and you're thinking, oh, okay, the priest is going to help. Surely the priest will. But the priest passed by. Why? Because he believed a lie. What was the lie that he believed? I don't know. It could have been, I'm too righteous. It could have been, I'm too busy. It could have been, I'm too important. I'm worth more than that guy in the ditch. For whatever reason, he believed a lie, and he passed by. Second guy came by, a Levite. Oh, another good Jewish guy. Maybe this guy will help this victim. But he passed by because he believed a lie too. Maybe it was, I'll be defiled if I touch. I can't be unholy. My holiness is worth more than this victim laying in the ditch. He believed a lie and he passed by. Finally, a Samaritan came by. Samaritan was not supposed to be the hero in the story. But this Samaritan had compassion. He pulled the guy out of the ditch. He bandaged his wounds. He bought him medicine. He gave him a place to stay. He arranged for him to recover. Why? Because he believed the truth that we are all created by the same God. And that belief led him to a morally upright action. And ever since he did what he did, we've called him the good Samaritan. What lie are you believing? What truth should be in its place? And what goodness can come out of that reversal in your life? Do that and bring more goodness into your life this week. Father, I can't help but think about Satan taking Jesus into the desert and feeding him lies. Lies like turn the stones into bread so that you can live. Lies like, worship me and I'll give you everything that you see. Lies like, prove that you're God, just jump. And each one of those temptations were packaged in brilliant lies. But Jesus saw through them because he was rooted in your truth. God, help us to be that good. Help us to see through the lies that we're believing. And may that bring us to morally upright actions. I thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you for seeing us as good because of the goodness of Jesus. Would you help us to live into that and to bring into our lives more and more goodness? And it's in Jesus' name, the only one who is good, that we pray. Everybody said. Amen. I'd like you to stand. We're going to sing a song to close today. Maybe you have never accepted that goodness for your badness. If not, today's the day. There's no reason to wait. Come forward. Accept Jesus as your Savior. In faith, repent. The baptistry is warmed up. We can make you good before God not because of anything we do here today, but because of what Jesus has already done. He's the one that is your path to more goodness. If that's your decision, you come as we sing.